the touch of your lips, dear, but much more for the touch of your whips, dear. You can raise welts like nobody else as we dance to the masochism tango. All right. Welcome, everybody, to Ourgasm. This is the podcast where we talk about decolonizing sexuality and gender. I am Lindsay G. I'm one of your co-hosts, and I use she, her, or they, them pronouns. And I am Lenny Peppers. Uh, I use she, her pronouns. And, and we... I... oh, sorry. <laughs> I was going to introduce myself, my dad. <laughs> um, hi, I'm Nikki Darling, and I use they, them pronouns. <laughs> So we are so excited to bring you a show with Nikki Darling. Um, Nikki and I have known each other for a few years, um, but it's been a while since we have had like a sit down chat. So I am really excited to have them on the program where we can dig into topics about decolonization and particularly sex work. So before we get into it, uh, Lenny has a short spiel. We use heteronormative terms of gender binary of men and women under the understanding that there are gender androgynous, agender, bigender, pangender, and gender fluid norms that exist outside of cisnormativity. While we tend to use male and female as shorthand, this is not meant to undermine the very serious role of colonization in violence against two-spirit and non-conforming individuals. Even more so, this is not meant to obscure the reality that two-spirit and non-conforming people are the most likely to experience sexual violence, as we have mentioned in earlier episodes. We do not believe in the gender binary without fluidity, which is a Euro-Western construct that forced a strict gender division on our societies, which itself is a form of violence. Thank you so much, Lenny. Uh, we always like to get that out in front so that we don't spend the entire episode apologizing for using language that isn't absolutely accurate for every person because um, we wouldn't get a whole lot done if we were apologizing the whole time. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Nikki, thank you again so much for joining us. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Um, but before we get you know, into the nitty gritty of it, would you uh, want to tell our listeners just a little bit about who you are, you know, where you're coming to us from? Oh, wow. Who am I? Um, <laughs> my name is Nikki Darling, um, I guess otherwise known as Paisley Parker. Um, I, am a, I am a Black, queer, um, non-binary, human being. Um, I am, um, I come from a sex worker background. Um, I am a dancer. I am a poet. Um, I like to believe I am a healer in training. Um, and yeah, and I am a, I guess I like to define myself as um, a spiritual abolitionist. I guess that's, yeah, I, yeah, that's me and the hats and the vibes that are myself. Yeah. So I've, I mean, I've known you for a while and I've been following along with your life that you put on social media. So I recognize that that's only a small portion of your life, but I've been reading some of the poetry that you've been putting up and I've been kind of, you know, trying to like be somewhat on your journey with you. Um, and I've been seeing a lot of posts that you have been putting up about like a process of personal decolonization in your own life, um, which I think sounds amazing. And I am really curious if you want to talk about what that looks like a little bit for you, because maybe I want to copy you a little bit. I've had like a really interesting journey because I grew up very much in a religious household. I was the child of a preacher. I don't know. I think growing up, there was always like that weird, like, I guess I was always, I was getting frustrated with, I guess, the expectations and the positions and dispositions that I had to hold due to 
being placed in this box that was because you have a uterus or vaginas and therefore you are a female and females do these things. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to do these things, you'll get punished for doing these things. Or if you're going to do these things, you'll get shamed for doing these things. And I, that never made sense to me. And that always was extremely frustrating and confining. And I think when I was younger, there really wasn't language really, you know, I don't think there was really as much language about, or at least I wasn't exposed to the language of like gender binary or queerness. Um, And I think kind of by the time I went to college and experimented with sex and experimented with all the other things. um, (laughs) But also like with experimenting with that, I also... I also caught kind of like the issues of like being slut shamed or um, specifically like feeling and experiencing the difference of the values of my body as maybe not a rich white person in a very like private school that was that did not have black or brown people in them. And so um, I also like ran into that. And then after I graduated from college and all of that and um, couldn't find any work in my field that I wanted, I wanted to be, I wanted to be a teacher um, when I first graduated from college. And, you know, I kind of came into sex work, honestly, as a means of survival, also as a means of like exploration. Um, And even then in the industry, I still ran up against issues of needing to fit in boxes. Um, That also caused harm and also, you know, that also caused harm and, you know, um, caused a lot of really, um, I don't know, I think, I think there were times where like, yeah, there were traumatic things that, you know, I kind of had to process and understand, um, because there was hella racism in the industry as well. And so I think, um, and then I got really burnt out and then I left the industry, um, And I started doing, you know, like other workouts, you know, other, you know, regular normie work. And (laughs) I think I was starting to realize, I think there was a pattern I was realizing and realizing that there are these specific systems. (laughs) There are these systems that are put in our society and that are imposed in our society and these systems that forced us into these places that we had no consent. I I guess I, you know, I came to an understanding that these systems and these things all like come kind of like, I, when I see it, it's like these like dendrites and these dendrites like filter into maybe like a few different common threads. And I realized that one of the main um, common threads was, yeah, colonization. For me, like I thought colonization and capitalism and white supremacy. And when I saw these things and when I saw, you know, the more I saw and I understood that these things were so ingrained in our system, um, the more I wanted to figure out how to, how to dismantle those things from my life because those things I saw as the same things and these same boundaries that I was hitting my head up against that were hurting me and traumatizing me and like making me feel like I had to betray parts of myself in order to have any chance of like surviving. And I just got fucking tired. I think at a point I just started being like, I've tried to, I've tried to go along on this game where there's these systems that aren't made or created for me to thrive as the individual that I know myself to be. Hmm. So why am I continuing to invest and put my energy in that? Hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I think like the more I started studying like energy work and stuff like that, I'm like, if I'm putting my energy in these things that do not give me anything back, then why am I putting my energy in them? And so I kind of slowly started, yeah, at least going in and detangling 
what those threads are in my mind so that I can be able to detach and reimagine a life and a community and a space that I do feel good putting my energy in that that when I put that energy in it grows in abundance because I think that is still possible we've just never we've never had the opportunity to even imagine what that is yeah oh my god so yeah that's kind of I guess how I (laughs) (laughs) into yeah going into this process of decolonization wow you just made me so happy. Like, <laughs> definitely, like, listening to, like, the path to where you are now kind of emphasizes a couple main points that we talk about a lot on this podcast. First off, that capitalism and white supremacy and patriarchy are all tools of colonialism. And that there is definitely a, like, reward punishment system where if you don't follow it people are going to call you names people are going to be uh you know enact all kinds of forms of violence on other people in order to uphold this system that benefits them in some way and so uh you know just hearing like the entire path and then coming around to uh the system doesn't work and working to like fix like not not necessarily fix it, but like to push to change it, you know? Yeah. There's, there's so much to fix. Right. And, and I think for me, it's funny. Cause like, I'm hearing, like, it's so funny. Cause there's, there's always these different arguments of like, well, how do we change it? How do we fix it? Blah, 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 blah. And, um, I don't know. I think for me, um, I know hopefully I don't get too woo woo, but I am kind of a woo-woo person, but like, I don't know. I'm a very woo-woo and scientific person. I think they're the same thing. It's just like spoken in a different language. One of my friends called it like spiritual physics. <laughs> like, and when you are looking, when you are looking at energy and when you are looking at what you put your energy in, what you are rooted in, what are your belief systems and what you, yeah, what do you put parts of yourself in? Um, it's funny because there's all these questions of like, well, how do we solve it? How do we fix it? Like, do we, cr- do we let it topple down and da, 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 da. And how I see it is like, when you stop giving the thing power and food and fuel to run and you start putting it in something else and building it in a new thing, that thing is going to crumble on its own because it doesn't have the it doesn't have the power or the fuel to continue to exist. But I think the issue when it comes to capitalism, white supremacy and patriarchy is that it has been shoved down our throats like so much we don't even realize it. It's like um, this really wonderful writer and person named Sonia Renee Taylor said it very well, but like if you're fish swimming in water and you're in water, you don't necessarily realize that it's water. And mm-hmm. we've been existing and functioning under these systems for such a long time and how it affects us is very different to how we've come to arrive here. But, you know, if, if you don't even realize that you're in that, and if you don't even realize, and also they've, they've done a very good job of concealing and lying and gaslighting and, you know, they've done a very good job of making it difficult to even identify and to see, you know what I mean? And, you know, decolonization is healing. And so, and just in the same way, healing, healing is nonlinear. Once you think you go to like one, once you think you go to like one well of healing and you think like you've reached the bottom, there's like a whole last other cave. (laughs) From childhood yeah. and time when you were nine that you didn't even realize was there. Like, you know what I mean? And so, like, it's a constant excavation. Right. Um, and it's a constant process. Yeah. And that's so anti-intuitive to our system because it, it's, it doesn't feel good all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. True. 
True. Oh my God. That's like on the podcast so far, we have tackled like a different concept, a different idea every time. Um, and it's gone like really far afield and we keep coming up with new ideas because like what we keep discovering is that like, okay, so we'll do, um, did one on periods. Okay. We figured out how periods are tied to colonization in the, in the dominant culture. Okay. So now we're going to talk about polyamory and relationship models. Okay. Figure that one out. But every time we're talking about something, we come up with a new topic that is also tied up, like you said, in like all those dendrites that go back up to like the, I don't know, the colonization mothership or whatever, <laughs> um, whatever we're tracing it back to. And like each one of them, we can get a whole episode out of because everything, like you said, is so tied together in this net that we're all living in without realizing we've been living our lives under a net the whole time. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, so what I want to I want to talk to you about your thoughts on sex work in the sex industry as regards colonization, because um, you know more about this than we do. And I would really love to hear your thoughts on it. But I'm also having so much fun talking about like the more uh, far flung stuff. I don't know if I want to rush you into talking about that or not. The way sex work and the sex industry and specifically this the porn industry and and even like how that design works ties still into the capitalistic hierarchy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. you know, race, racist, transphobic, like big mothership. It ties into that because I, I think one thing that was always very interesting to me is just that the way that the porn industry at least when i got in when i first got into the industry um and even in sex and even in the other forms of sex work i did because even in stripping as well like colonization and racism was rampant um and very normalized in strip clubs as well but like even in the porn industry also um as far as the different ways that black body, black and brown bodies are treated versus not black and brown bodies and proximity to whiteness and, yeah. and, and all of that, like that is wholly and completely in the porn industry, you know, I, and, and I am seeing that there are some changes and there are some things happening where like people are starting to call out more things. Like I love that black.com is starting to get like called out on their yeah. like really problematic ass shit but the thing is when it first came out everyone was like wow this is so beautiful the aesthetic is so great and consuming it and still being like this is this is we're consuming this whole idea based on this extremely problematic trope of black men and white women and and mm -hmm that fuckery that goes back to you know colonization and jim crow and emmett hill was murdered for what think people white men thinking that he whistled out a yeah yeah for anyone listening who doesn't know black.com um is a it's a porn website i don't remember when they debuted it was maybe like 20 sometime in like the 2010s um and won like all the awards because they had really high production values um and you know all the right cameras and all the right people were involved um and it, it yeah like like nikki said it was basically based on you know black men with white women the quote-unquote interracial category of porn even the term blacked even the term blacked is problematic because they used that for when a it, they use that for when a woman slept with a black man, she was ruined. Right. That's what black is referring to. You know what I mean? And that is just steeped in all of like the ugly racism trope. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't even. I could probably write a whole book on on that. But like, <laughs> you know, you should do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> um i'll try i'll try i know i'm I'm trying to get a patreon together so like eventually yes but like but no like even so 
seeing those things, it was really cool. It was really cool to see how um, Black porn performers started talking more specifically in 2020 after, you know, when Black Lives Matter made a resurgence and after Breonna Taylor and after George Floyd and like, you know, seeing other, you know, Black porn performers actually speak and talk more. I know that I, you know, all throughout my career in mainstream industry, I talked about it a lot too. But I think also that like worked at my detriment because, you know, I, I think uh, the mainstream porn industry, um, you know, it, it, because it is based, because the system is based where or it was set up in a way where certain performers made more or had opportunities to make more mm-hmm. um, because they were maybe white versus, mm-hmm. you know, black versus being black, like that, that still creates and shadows those same structures and systems yeah. in the real world. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like, what are we changing? And, and that's the thing. And I think, and I think an issue, you know, I think, I I think a really big issue that a lot of, you know, white allies have sometimes is like, when, you know, when people try to bring awareness to them about like, this doesn't feel right, or this makes me feel devalued, or this is just flat out racist, you know, I I feel like I see like the same pattern of just like being really offended and being really fragile and upset about it. However, because they are more so in the position of power, because they more so get the director jobs and all of the things like that, you know, still black for performers will suffer for speaking out and bringing awareness to the thing right. that is harming them. And right. so it's been really interesting to me, at least as a sex worker that, that, you know, you know, still, you know, I'm, I'm an independent content creator now, but like, you know, a person that was in the mainstream for a long time, I don't know, kind of like seeing the ways that, you know, those same systems are replicated, even though it's an Mm -hmm. industry that still is, you know, I think considered, um, you know, on the margins a little bit, um, not in mainstream of like what society maybe believes in, but it still is reflecting those same values and it still is using those same mechanisms. Yeah. Of those things. And when, when I started writing about the porn industry as a journalist, um, and I started noticing these these issues, especially around race going on in the industry, I remember being like so confused because I was like, well, if everyone here is on the margins already, wouldn't you think that like people could stick together and like help each other out? And yet, no. And the thing that that I saw happening a lot, it goes right back to what you were saying about like, you know, swimming in the water and not even realizing that it's water. a lot of the justification for horrendously racist terminology that gets replicated and replicated and sold and sold and sold in the porn industry, um, it people keep doing it because they say, well, we have to sell it. And if we don't use this term or that term, then the people who want that kind of content won't know how to find it. And, you know, we'll all starve to death. Um, and like, there is, there's a truth to that where like if you're selling to a, a particular market, you want those people to be able to find what they want. Sure. But that is more of an apology and an excuse for replicating the same water that we're all swimming in instead of looking for, you know, a way to let some fucking fresh water into the fishbowl in the first place. Yes, exactly. Yes. And I think that's why another really insidious thing that colonization does is trick people into equating comfort with freedom. Oh, shit. Yes. 
that's not freedom. Comfort is not freedom. Also, like, freedom, not peaceful. Funny, like, you look at someone like Harriet Tubman, like, the whole language of colonization is dressed Harriet Tubman as this one, you know, as this person where it's like, she was a fugitive. White men were looking for her. There was a price on her head, and she risked her life several times breaking slaves out of bondage. And then even in that, on those tours, she would have to sometimes hold guns to those slaves' head because they were scared of go. They would get scared and want to go back. Do you realize how deep that is? Where like so, even in the horns of slavery, but that is a testament to. I think humans and how that shit can get like warped in your brain, you know, comfort isn't always necessarily freedom. It's actually kind of the opposite, but in order, in order for everybody to get free, there needs to be change and change involves discomfort, change involves meaning to sacrifice some shit change involves like I think people don't realize they're getting so weighed down like they're getting so weighed down by the idea of privilege and having and you'll be so much lighter if you just gave some of it (laughs) away um it also goes back to just you know the fear of change it's it's so tied in with comfort you know even if where you're at is not comfortable the idea of changing and trying something different is so scary to us that even when we are miserable and living in terrible situations, we are unlikely to want to change that. And one thing that I have noticed a lot in the porn industry over my time as a journalist um, is that there's this kind of constant like apocalypse mindset in the mainstream porn industry because like literally there is always someone out there trying to destroy the industry like there's always some group that's like out to get porn and porn is the worst thing that's ever happened to the world and and i think like existing as it does kind of on the fringes and always being hounded by someone pornographers as a group have come to the conclusion that like they literally are like at death's door all the time. Like they're this far away from somebody coming in and taking everything away from them. And then when you add to that the idea that like, hey, what you're doing is fucked up because you're normalizing terminology that is racist and you're normalizing within your own industry, paying people of color and black people less for the same work. Like that's fucked up. Putting us in roles that don't center us or represent us like they'll say like oh this is a scene that you're doing and then when they release it and you see the title sometimes I'm like I did not consent to that title you know and the title could be problematic as shit at one point I had tried to get our tribe to give universal internet to the people uh, just to set it up throughout the entire tribe so that everyone has access to knowledge and the reason why people didn't want it was because somebody might look up porn oh no like (laughs) uh that's something that's like a way of thinking that like totally just held down like an entire community from being able to grow and thrive and it's just I mean it's something that needs to be changed that's another mechanism of you know, colonization. Like, it, it's so interesting to me because I think also in my journey, just in my experiences as a sex worker, while I've had like, it's a spectrum of experiences I've had from like very, very traumatic. I'm just going to take me some time to unpack what happened <laughs> to very, like, I don't know, like, low-key experiences like low-key spiritual experiences with certain clients and people um and it, it goes to show that like I don't know like sex as a thing and an energy is so multifaceted and can be used in such wonderful ways um and you know colonization and patriarchy has created a situation where where like sex and how sex is consumed 
is like really fucked up and exploitative when and it's really interesting though now though because I think I'm starting to see a bit more like nuance in how people do sex work and that's been like really tight like I'm like oh my god yay like because for a very long time like I felt like I was the only like deep hoe out there (laughs) (laughs) pondering these other things and I'm just like am I just crazy but it's really interesting because I've seen maybe within like the last maybe like five years or so I think there are starting to be a lot more I guess more convergence with like sex work and spiritual healing Mm. in the vein of decolonization because before colonization and before these white men told people what they're supposed to do and what they weren't supposed to do, there were like, you know, like sex priestesses. There was communities that honored that energy. And when you performed and did services for that energy, you were you you were honored for it you were held you were you were highly regarded mm-hmm, um right. I at least know at least for me and in like some like indigenous like West African cultures definitely it was but like I said like those splits from those cultures and bring and being colonized and brought here kind of like took a lot of those things away right which I know also in a lot of other indigenous cultures, like, you know. Yeah, absolutely here in America. And that was like part of the, part of like the destructive things that they did was like, that was intentional to remove um, people and specifically um, like female and trans people from, um, to spare people from their sexuality. Yes. 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 And like, you know, it's just, it's so fucked up because even just like with the research that I do with, you know, the gender binary and a lot of cultures, a lot of like indigenous cultures didn't even have those. You know what I mean? They didn't even have those. And usually- Just like in any other like community or society, I've been reading some books about like more traditional like West African like communities and how they used to form and function. But like, even in those communities, if a person was queer, like usually like queer people were known as like gay and queer people in traditional West African cultures, specifically like Yoruba and Igbo, like some like gay and queer people were known as like, you know, we were in both worlds. We had mm-hmm. easy access to living world and dead world. And like, we, you know, from we were the ones that would help and assist in those things. And that was part of our function. But like, no one really cared about, no one really cared about who you married or who you went to sleep with or anything like that. They even had different terms. Like they had like, you know, they had like um, male, like male wives or like, um, or like women husbands that like related to either like dominant women that went and like hunted and you know, things like that or men that raised children. You know what I mean? It was normalized and only until white colonization and you know other countries started occupying those places did did those you know did those systems get disrupted right and like i i I always feel feel like kind of like captain Captain obvious saying shit like this this, but um i think think that that for the purpose of the podcast podcast, it's worth repeating this kind of stuff stuff. like the the ideas that got got imposed on all of us because because we are all living under them at this point um continuing to live under them and continuing um the the ideas that we have now about gender like nikki just said like they are arbitrary they they are not real they are just what the colonizers you know who you know the quote-unquote winners of the game or whatever it's the value system that they brought with them 
and told everyone was true and real and normal and the only thing that is okay. But like, they're made up. They're they're not. It was made up so that basically like cis white men could hoard all the power. You know, because if you create a difference and if you create a difference of saying, well, a woman can't be strong, a woman can't be a soldier or a woman can't fight, a woman can't be logical, a woman can't be tact, you know, and like create all of these qualities that like aren't, you know, create all these qualities that one are seen as weak, which is not true. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. emotional intelligence actually is like amazing yeah. um intuition is amazing empathy is amazing but it created this system or this idea and like no one you know it's not like yeah and if you just keep telling someone something over and over again also and if you keep creating a situation where if you bump up against that too much systematically your life gets very hard mm-hmm. they put a system of hierarchy in place so that there would be people who would be higher up who would want to defend this system and hold it into place and that includes men that includes police that includes government officials when you have a system of hierarchy You have people who are living in a more comfortable position who hold this system in place, which in turn makes it harder for people who are not in those higher positions in the hierarchy. And they see how they're like, they they make these laws, they, they enforce these laws and they see how crappy, like they've made the lo- like these other people's lives and don't even attribute it to like their own decisions uh, and use it as a justification for um, upholding the power system. I mean, it's, re- I mean, ah. Yeah, I mean, and it all, it's all coming from, like we said, like the mothership. And the really sad part, I think, is that when you talk about a lot of this with a lot of people these days, like one of the ways that colonization has really gotten us and taken such a deep hold, I think, over the world, is that it, it, the forces of oppression, for lack of a better term in, in this instance, like, have systematically removed our ability to imagine anything else. Yes. Like, by erasing priestesses, by erasing other genders and other ways of self-expression, and, like, on purpose, turning every sex goddess into a fertility goddess, you know, <laughs> like they have taken away our ability to think that there's another option. And so we, we, even if we are unhappy for a lot of people, we look around and we just think, well, this is the only way to be. So I guess I just got to keep being unhappy. And here we are. Right. People are unhappy. They've done studies of people in marriages uh, where they've determined that like the majority of women are happier in their later years when either they become divorced or their partner has passed away. And they start this training in early education. My kids came home with abstinence paperwork from school and I'm like, no, uh, we're going to talk about sex now. And First off, yeah. how great sex is, <laughs> and second <laughs> off, how to do it safely, because we don't believe right. in that. Good for you. God. Good for me, but, yeah. like, think of all of those other kids who went home with mm-hmm. this abstinence papers, and they're either their parents just did it and sent it back because it's just easier to do that. It's more comfortable to not... Oh, yeah. Uh, or uh, yeah. agreed with it and said, yeah, you need to do this abstinence stuff for health. Yeah. Right. Right. And like, I don't know, like, it still is a trip to me to see how uncomfortable people are about sex. I see it with my fans and I see, (laughs) you know, I've seen it and it's so funny. It it is. And it's so funny. It's almost like I can almost see the war in their head. And I almost have to be like, just relax. (laughs) 
let me entertain you. <laughs> the idea of even just, I don't know, practicing intention, like intention for like, like intention for like most of like my clients and like, they're like, what? Huh? Like, and I'm just like, <sighs> like, and that's scary to think, and I don't know, it's just scary to think that there really are people existing out here that are root that aren't rooted in anything. And I'm just like, how did you survive so long? But I think like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how did you how did you how did you get here? But like <laughs> <laughs> but I think like you know the, I, I think that goes to show too like you know like I said like with colonization you know it is it is a system and it, it is a system and it is a game for cis white men to win it is it just it, it was made it was made for them and by them um, <laughs> and yeah. they did it well they did it well um like I said before when you when it comes to energy, when you stop giving it fuel, then what happens? Yeah. Yeah. That's a thought experiment. I hope that some of our listeners take up and that we can all take up that practice of focusing on, you know, where we're putting our energy. The more of us that do it, the more we'll see what happens. The more people who see this, the more they'll realize that it's bullshit and the more that they will stand up like against it and like be like hey that rule was made up for that person yeah. like do yeah. i have to you know well, do i have to keep well, doing that right yeah and, and nikki what you just said about like realizing that there are so many people out there who aren't rooted in anything like that just got me like that that is I feel like that's almost kind of the ultimate goal of the whole system is to just create people as these individual bubbles that that only have to make very simple choices in their lives, you know, like Coke or Pepsi, you know, Mac or Mac. Oh, my God, I'm so old. <laughs> Apple or, you know, Android, like just present people with fewer choices and the choices that you do present them with make them binaries, so it's real easy to pick one or the other, and just let them float around out there until they bump into each other, and then they either form an attachment or they decide they hate each other. And they, I'm getting a really vivid visual here. But... Not only that, but I don't think that people are taught at all, uh, but definitely not early enough to learn to ask questions. I mean, children are told to like, just do what I say because I said it. Mm -hmm. uh, not and and people don't mm -hmm. learn how to ask why. Like not just to ask why, but how to ask why this is in place. Why is it yeah. like this? Why am I ashamed? Why am I uncomfortable? And how can I make it? Uh, you know, how can I how can I make it better? How can I learn more about it? Yeah. Yeah. Well. It kind of, I, I, you're totally correct. I think I, that goes in, I think that goes back into like how the system conditions people to yeah. blindly follow it. And yeah, from the time we are very young, we, we are conditioned to not question. I know that happened to me. I would get in trouble all the freaking time for questioning stuff, especially in church. <laughs> I'm like, this doesn't make sense. A woman has to submit to who? What? And you know what I mean? There are all of these, you know, or yeah. And, you know, the more you get in trouble for it or, you know, it's kind of, yeah, it's like a, it's all these different systems replicating itself. And it's funny because people don't even realize that they do it. People don't even realize that they yeah. do that they that they do those things where it's like, you know, what do you mean yeah. I'm a racist? Yeah. Well, I'm just gonna take away everything from you and like whatever, which is like a whole other like thing where, yeah, we, we're not trained to question. We're not trained to pause on something. We're just trained to react and do. Hmm. Yeah, right. yeah, that's really true. <laughs> Oh, I have such conflicted feelings about that because on the one hand, 
yeah, the internet is a terrible place full of trolls and darkness and meanness. But on the other hand, it has allowed for so many ideas and the sharing of so much knowledge across vast instances and, you know, into new communities that I see, like, there's so much potential there, you know, if like, I think there's like a thing where it's like, I do see potential for really great things. And like, you know, even being a part of groups that, you know, I never imagined would be existing right now, but do and feeling a part of certain things. But then there's certain times where yeah, it just feels like everyone is just reacting and trauma reacting at each other. And like, no one's actually stopping to listen. So yes, when certain folks by POC queer folks, where the system does not work for them, when they say, hey, the way this is does not work for me, there is this reactionary thing that happens for anyone that's in a positionality where it might work for them a little better. And there's like this resistance to hearing it. And like, I don't know, I come to find that I think it, it, I feel like it's that resistance is connected to idea of um, the idea of comfort being freedom or the idea of comfort you know what I mean and so when if people for just a minute just take a time out and be like this is making me feel away let me step away from the computer practice some mindfulness maybe journal maybe like ask a friend or two take some deep breaths that's the first thing a person should do take like a breath or two and then come back and respond I feel like there is room for people to have better and more thoughtful conversations if we didn't just go into fight or flight when people ask them to question their positionality Mm -hmm. in this structure. Right. Where it absolutely. And I mean, even even just the suggestion of of engaging in a mindfulness practice for a little while to like kind of deactivate your emotional response. I mean it's wild to think that, like, in the year of our Lord, 2021, that the uh, the concept of mindfulness is still so foreign to so many people. But, I mean, really, it's... I think the thing that that can be really scary about that is that it is more or less asking people to decenter themselves, right? Like, mindfulness is the practice of looking at the world around you from an objective standpoint as opposed to what's going on inside of your head and i mean i feel like i feel like the last year of everyone more or less living in quarantine the whole time like half of the world has really started to look at that because that's kind of where some people have gravitated to in quarantine and then i feel like the other half of the world approximately a half anyway has gone the opposite direction like running as far away from themselves and looking at themselves that way as possible so yeah it's kind of the perfect storm for the internet so that people can just yell at each other about it yeah yeah i'm just like everyone's yelling but no one's listening (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. Mm. i feel like we rob ourselves of a lot of progress and meaningful conversations that way Can I ask us to go back a little bit to what you were saying about some of your clients? And this was like in the same uh, breath that you were talking about uh, people being, you know, not rooted to anything. Um, But you also said that you you try to help your clients find an intention. Yes. And and that that blows their minds. And I had this brief flash of like, oh, my God, you're doing healing work for your clients like you yeah. introduced yourself as as you'd like to think of yourself as a healer. And I was like, it's right. That's it. That's right. That's what yes. you're doing. <laughs> um, yes, it is. It is something that I'm doing. Um, I cannot take the I cannot take all of the credit for doing that. But I thank my lucky stars for finding um, this amazing human being. Um, they on Instagram, I, I will shout them out to the freaking rooftops because she is so amazing but um hoser healers 
is their Instagram handle. That's cool. Um, and then um, Amira, that is the name of the person who started and founded this. And um, also queer, like sex worker person who later um, learned Reiki and got initiated into Reiki um, years after years after um, being in her Reiki practice, she noticed a very specific need um, to only work with sex workers and sexual abuse survivors. And from then on, she's kind of grown this practice where she actually teaches sex workers Reiki as well. I've learned Reiki from her and she decenters colonization in it. She de- she's she decenters colonization and she actually invites people to learn about the methods of healing that are indigenous to them. And it has totally like changed my life. It's changed my, the way I approach my sex work. It has, you know, it's just totally changed my entire world. And she's created an online community outside of Instagram as well. Like she actually has created an app so that sex workers and sexual abuse survivors can have an online community where we aren't censored from the internet. Yeah. Also look up poser healers um, as the app. Like, yeah, this person. um, Yeah. I cannot shout out Amira enough. If you hear this, I love you. (laughs) And yeah, like, honestly, and that's like what I'm saying, like out of this pandemic, there are these groups and these things where people are, I think, finally starting to remember. And like, yeah, Amir is the one who kind of really creates an environment and situation where it's like, sex workers are healers, sex workers are people who have, who have a propensity to create and transmute energy um, in ways different than, you know, other people can. But who's to say that sex cannot be a medium to move and transmutate energy and heal? Because it always has been. I noticed this, you know, I noticed I was doing this when I was a dominatrix sometimes Mm -hmm. where I was like, we weren't really doing BDSM, but it was something else. But like, <laughs> yes, you know, like, yeah, it is a thing. I think you can, I think you can help heal. And I think you can be able to open people's eyes to parts and things they haven't um, seen or experienced before. But it's really funny because I think because of how people look at sex and because people use sex from a traumatized place they don't even realize or like know what they're getting into and so like yeah you know you have these like weird men like coming I think like expecting sometimes like expecting this like one thing and then like you know when they talk to me more and when I ask them certain questions you know like even in my, you know, pro-dom application, like I asked what, what, you know, out of the five love languages, what love language do you, what are your top two love languages you like to receive? What are your top two love languages you like to give? Cause I like to know what I'm getting out of the situation too. If I'm providing you with this energy, are you going to give me gifts? Are you going to praise me? Are you going to, because these are things, you know what I mean? And I think people sometimes look at sex work once again, from this capitalist view where it's like, I'm paying you money. Therefore I can do whatever the fuck I want to you. And I'm like, no, I'm precious. Actually. I'm precious. This energy that I give to you is giving more to you a lot of times than it is to me. So I'm going to say you can keep your money because that's not the experience that I give. Um, And yeah, it's just very interesting. It's very interesting how, yeah, how clients approach sex work and you can very much tell if they're coming from a traumatized place. 
I mean, I would imagine that the vast majority of people, especially in America, come to most sexual experiences from a traumatized place. Which that's not bad or wrong. No, no, it's just where we're all coming from. Right. It's not bad or wrong. Honestly, they're coming to the right place. But it's really funny because they're coming to the right place, but they don't, I don't think they understand what they're asking for. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, that's one thing that I think I really wanted to do with this podcast particularly is put some language around some of these things that people just don't know how to express. And I think that goes doubly when we're talking about sexuality. Like, there's so much shame, there is so much fear, and there's so much darkness around even just like our most basic sexual desires for so many people that we don't even have language for. We don't know how to express it. It is like, it's the most raw, most personal, most vulnerable thing. And one thing that we do not feel comfortable with is vulnerability. So yeah, I just, I, I feel like there's, there's so much room for growth there, (laughs) I guess. Like there really is room for growth. Like what if, what if the whole structure of capitalism didn't teach women to be in competition with each other and what if more women actually went to more sex workers Mm -hmm. yeah over some of the trauma and shame around their bodies oh my god (laughs) people at home nikki is currently making wide gestures I'm just saying, like, you know, I think um, sex workers are very underutilized for, I think, our capabilities, the multifaceted nature of what we do. Um, I really think that there's like, if you if you cut it down to like the bare basics, you know, the (sighs) sex is has the potential anyway for creating pleasure and joy and connection and it is really telling of i don't know the world that we live in that it has become such a source of shame and fear and pain um and so i think there's really like you know even even for people who are less woo woo than we are like i think that there's just a very real undeniable fact that sex can produce beautiful energy and has that ability and people who are facilitating that are are straight up doing a good service like that is benefiting people well and even i just while you were talking i just even remembered like where is our root chakra located like our root chakra our genitals and our anus like our sex organs (laughs) like And, you know, exactly. And it's like you say, like, what are people rooted in? And if there is that trauma that's there that keeps you from being able to do that, who are the people that are going to help? Who, what better group of people to help move and lubricate and expand and and work with in that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, mic drop. Right? <laughs> like, well, we're done. We, yeah. we figured it all out. <laughs> right. All right. Party. Tell everybody. Tell your friends. <laughs> no, actually, this is a really good opportunity. Um, if you have any websites, platforms, anything that you want the world to know about, please, you know, this is your opportunity. Um. For anyone interested in doing any of the work that I was talking about, you can find me at my OnlyFans, onlyfans.com slash Nikki Darling, N-I-K-K-I-D-A-R-L-I-N-G. You can also find me uh, on my Twitter at 
Nikki underscore darling XO. You can find me on my Instagram at Nikki darling XO. And, or also if you are into sad boy poetry and random photography and shit and like my weird earworms, you can find me at um, my Instagram at Paisley underscore underscore Parker. <laughs> I Perfect. am so down for that. <laughs> and having read said poetry, I am very into it. I fucking love it. I hope you do like a, a book. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I, yeah, I dibble and dabble in a lot of things. So yeah, there's a lot. There's, yeah, there's a lot to digest and look at and experience. And I, I, I just, like I said, I want, I want my intention in this world to bring about abolition in people's spirits. I want to stir change in people. And I also want my words and what I do to heal in whatever way it needs to. So yeah, if you're looking for healing, hit me up. <laughs> awesome. I think that I have a new favorite episode of this podcast. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. Oh, honored. <laughs> this has been an absolutely beautiful, beautiful conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for inviting me. I am really stoked for this podcast. I am loving that these conversations are happening more. I am loving that these themes and these things are starting to be brought up. I think it's so important. It's like you said, I think people don't have language because we haven't been able to talk about it. And so having these conversations, I hope can um help create language to bring us further and not bring us back yeah we use the internet for good <laughs> this was amazing conversation and you both are extremely amazing intelligent um and keep doing this please um thank you so much thank you for inviting me whenever you want to invite me back like yes i am 100 percent down. all right yeah and like if you like have a topic that you're like focusing on at any point yeah. that you'd like to talk about hit us up let us know yeah yes thank you i would love that yes thank you so much um yeah, yeah. and i hope uh, y'all have a wonderful evening and thank you you too thank you so much thanks um just a couple of quick notes before we close out the show uh, we will be um, switching to every other week for uploads because uh, Lindsay and I have a comic book that we need to put out. So yeah, uh, we will be doing comic stuff and podcasting stuff. And yeah, and so look forward to that. And sorry about cutting the episodes down to two a month, but you know. We got to do what we got to do. We got to make some badass comic books. I yeah. Know. I appreciate y'all and have a wonderful evening. Bye. <laughs> Let our love be a flame, not an amber. Say it's me that you want to dismember. Blacken my eye, set fire to my tie as we dance to the masochism tango. At your command, before you here I stand, my heart is in my hand. Ugh, it's here that I must be. My heart entreats, just hear those savage beats, and go put on your cleats, and come and trample me. Your heart is hard as stone or mahogany. That's why I'm in such exquisite agony. My soul is on fire. It's a flame with desire, which is why I perspire when we tango. You caught my nose in your left castanet, love. I can feel the pain yet, love. Every time I hear drums And I envy the rose That you held in your 
for teeth, love, with the thorns underneath, love, sticking into your gums. Your eyes cast a spell that bewitches the last time I needed 20 stitches to sew up the gash that you made with your lash as we dance to the masochism tango. Bash in my brain and make me scream with pain, then kick me once again and say we'll never part. I know too well I'm underneath your spell, so darling if you smell something burning it's my heart. Excuse me. Take your cigarette from its holder and burn your initials in my shoulder. Fracture my spine and swear that you're mine as we dance to the massacre. Kiss tango.